Hi, this is Liam Sharp. I'm the king of the court of nerds. Welcome to the show. I am announced by work on Wonder Woman and currently on Brave and Bold. And I am Brave and Bold. Enjoy. Okay. Ready in three, two... I gotta pee. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Hello, uh, welcome to Court of Nerds. Uh, As you can probably tell by my effeminate voice, I am not Drew. And judging by the deeper voice on the other end, that is not John. Uh, This is Grant. (laughs) I'm Kevin! (laughs) That voice is gonna be haunting my nightmares, so thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, we are, I don't want to say we're the B team, because that's giving us too much credit, but we're really happy to, to be filling in while the guys take a much-deserved break from the, the standard cast this week. Uh, and honestly, Kevin and I were just talking about, you know, what's shitty in the world, and we decided on some topics that are decidedly not shitty. Uh, yeah! And we're going to open up uh, with news of a, one of our favorite writers leaving one of Kevin's favorite books. Uh... Peter J. Tomasi is leaving Super Sons. Uh, it's not that he's just leaving Super Sons. Super Sons is getting canceled. And when that news broke uh, here this past week, I immediately went to the to, to our Court of Nerds thread, and I just started weeping hysterically. Uh, and, you know, everybody was just like in shock and horror uh, about it. And then I decided, well, I'm going to go look at you know, see what Tomasi is is tweeting about. And very shortly soon thereafter, he's like, guys, guys, I love, like, calm down. I'm still going to be working on Super Sons. But, you know, because, you know, Brian Michael Bendis is taking over Superman and there's all there was all these other concerns that, like, you know, the marriage is going to get, you know, written over and John is not going to be around and all that kind of stuff. He's like, no, that's all staying around. Here's evidence that that's still staying around. And he posted a single picture that drove me crazy. And it had Robin and uh, Superboy looking up at Falcon and Dynomutt. Oh, such a good picture. Uh, you can probably look down at the webpage this is hosted on, and we'll put up a picture of that because it is just rendered so well. Do you know who the, who the artist attached to that is? Uh, give me a second, I can look it up. Uh, while you look, I will divulge that when I was a kid, uh, like the Hanna-Barbera superhero stuff, like Space Ghost and Blue Falcon, I desperately wanted them to have like comic books and action figures, but they just didn't do that, which is a shame because those properties look amazing. DC has finally uh, tapped into the Hanna-Barbera market with Space Ghost, and we had that uh, rad bit of comics from... Way back in the day with Joe Kelly and Ariel Olivetti, and then with the future stuff and Doc Shaner and, and uh, Parker, Jeff Parker has been amazing. And now we're going to get Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt. Yeah, uh, it's, illust- it's being illustrated by Fernando Pessarin. Hmm. So, yeah. Take that for what it is. <laughs> well, it, it looked cool as hell. So, yeah. <laughs> let's give this guy a springboard. I, I, and I love the the kind of it's not shoehorning shoehorning is wrong mm. the celebrating of the Hanna Barbera like yeah. line you know uh, and our our boy Ben here just absolutely loved Future Quest mm-hmm. and I mean what's not to love 
but there, there's been all these other like crossovers and stuff like that 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 you've seen. Hell, I love the Booster Gold Flintstones crossover. You know, yeah. I, I I still you know I, I I have it by my nightstand, and every so often, if I need a good read, I just pick it up and flip through it. Yeah, and the the Banana Split Suicide Squad was super. It was more fun than it needed to be. It was so yeah. cool. I well, I had one of their uh, the the Banana Splits all kitted out in. Uh, you know, Suicide Squad gear is like my my avatar picture for a little while. <laughs> and they also did, what was the other one? There was Batman Elmer Fudd, which turned out to be, like, amazing. <laughs> Very good. Elmer Fudd was a badass. And we got to talk about Harry Russell handling the Flintstones, which was just incredible. Like, talk yeah. about being way better than it should have been. He did awesome work there. And I finally got around to reading the first couple issues of Snagglepuss. And yeah. it's really good. It's very, very good and very, very progressive. I mean, well done. The 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 book series that I stopped after two issues was Jetsons. Yeah, and, you did give that a shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote a couple of reviews of the first two issues, I believe, on The Court of Nerds. And then I was just like, okay, I'm done. Like, I gave it two issues to intrigue me. And it just, there there was a whole lot of exposition without much going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But all the same, like, the Hanna-Barbera stuff has been great. There's no reason to think that Blue Falcon and Dino Mud won't be good with Tomasi behind the wheel, especially with <laughs> how good his Super Sons was. Oh, my goodness. Can, can you imagine how John and Dino Mud will interact? It'll be, <laughs> it'll be so fantastic. And, like, it's going to be Falcon and Robin, you know, off to the side, like trying, like, trying to contain their, like, young wards, you know. Yeah. And how do you figure Dynamut's going to be portrayed? I'm used to him from the cartoon being like uh, a goofy, well-meaning superhero that kind of stumbles into the correct solution. Oh, yeah. I hope that they take more of that angle than like make him, God forbid, grim and gritty, trademark, registered, copyright. Uh, I mean, it's Tomasi. Nothing about Super (laughs) Sons has been like gritty. Uh, It has been happy and, you know, clever. Uh, everything he's done with the series has is has like even giving them an underwater headquarters, <laughs> you know, with essentially you know like a teleportation pods so that they can bamf around Metropolis and Gotham, and but just Metropolis and Gotham, not allowed anywhere else. <laughs> you know, it's it's so much fun, and he's done so well for that comic series. I would say that over the last. Like maybe decade, he's one of DC's unheralded best writers from his work on Nightwing, including what's my favorite scene. Like you know what I'm talking about, the one where it's Nightwing and Superman in the park, and the the police officer finds him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that was a magnificent. And then his work with uh, Pat Gleason and our boy Mick Gray on Batman and Robin, which was just incredible. Uh, it still some of my, I just got the entire Batman and Robin omnibus oh, hardcover. It's like, you know, it costs like 90 bucks, but it's like this big, Jeez. you know, and it, it is huge. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> maybe I'll post a picture of it, but it is, it is amazing. And it's one of those things like, uh, you know, I, it's too big to bring with you anywhere. So you just put it on the coffee table and every so often you flip a few pages and you go along with it. And you deal with the feelings that come. and the feelings are so great man uh one thing that got us feeling things was learning about dc breaking from diamond preview 
Right. That uh, And to me, that kind of came as a shot in the dark. But the more I thought about it, the more sense it made. Mm-hmm. You know, because Marvel did this years ago, you know, uh, because they're the big boys, right? And, yeah. Yeah. And that we want our own. And so DC kind of became the default, you know, for the 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 diamond preview and it, you and every so often valiant or image or boom might might appear on the cover but most of the time it was dc because they were the big boys there and then i got to thinking he's like well dc makes up an equal share of the comics market right now mm-hmm. as marvel uh if not a little more in uh, you know at some months yeah why not just have your own uh, and put out your own preview? One, this is good for studios like you know Boom and 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 Dynamite and stuff like that. It gives them a bigger chance to have a larger platform. Yeah. Uh, and two, it's probably better for DC because you know oh, we mainly collect the big two comics. Mm-hmm. You know, and it would be better for like all the nerds and stuff out there to just go to the source. Yeah. So I think it makes sense all around. Plus I hate diamond. Yeah. They're kind of the worst, especially after talking with Gavin and D from tardies about, I hope this isn't putting anyone on blast, but diamond made things a little difficult for them at times. And it's the same with a lot of comic shops. Uh, all, all comic shops. I mean, the margins for comic shops are so thin. Mm-hmm. Like you can't make money selling comics. It's impossible. Yeah. You have to sell other things. I mean, that's why you always see magic cards on the counter at comic shops because magic is a license to print money. Oh, and and then you have figurines and all these other things that have that have high turn, you know, the, the, maybe low turnover in the store but high value. Like, yeah. you know, it costs them 5 bucks to 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 get in the store but they sell it for 60. Mm-hmm. But do you think this is going to affect eventually uh, like say the big two go to their own distribution methods. Uh, in in, I would I think Marvel will pave that way first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean they got Disney uh, behind them now, and I can see the House of Mouse wanting to do that and consolidate. Uh, I'm not sure if DC and you know all their subsidiaries are ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I would probably like to see it, but then what does that mean for all the smaller publishing houses if Diamond takes a huge hit? Uh, will that mean there'll be a bubble up of new distributors and stuff to fill the void? Uh, but if it might take time for that to happen, and you might see some studios go under. Which would be such a shame, because I feel like we're really in a golden age of comics right now, and it, it would be nice if all these really quality books from all sorts of publishers, could get better distribution and better uh, recognition in stores. Because mm-hmm. I know up here in, in Traverse City, I have to get my Aftershock books. Like, I have to specialty order those through the store. Yeah, absolutely. Same same thing here. Uh, and, I mean, Animosity has been just so good, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's kind of like the thing, you, you check the box for, for the special order for, for that. And I'm actually quite a few issues behind. I got the the stack that I need to go through. Yeah, if you don't mind doing a little tangent right here, uh, Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael Del Tor, like they've mm-hmm. been killing it recently. 
the main series, I finally got caught up the other week, which is not the only reason I feel comfortable talking about this, is uh, like the mainline book has been really good. And also the, like the Animosity Evolution book has been really good. I think uh, Juan Doe has been doing some of the art on those. And it's just, it's two compelling lines featuring two different uh, placements within the overall narrative. Like one is with uh, Cassie, I want to say is her name, and Sandor. And the other is with mm-hmm. her uh, stepbrother, who's a vet ah. under in uh, on the West Coast. But Aftershocks, I'm glad that this is like their flagship title because it's just been really good. Awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll have to I'll have to pick that back up. I mean, our our stack of books just keeps getting longer and longer as weeks go by. Which is kind of irritating because we we keep getting cool books from like, you know, we get other solicitations and other advanced copies from Aftershock and from Valiant and from DC. It's like, okay, we got to read all these, but we still got to get our pulls. Yeah, and and that's kind of and I'm always most excited about my pulls because they're the books that I want to read. Yeah. And when there's overlap, awesome, mm-hmm. great, you know. Uh, uh, but then every so often I have to I I got to find the independent comic and stuff and give them yeah. some love. Absolutely. But as yeah, as of late, like the indies that I've been picking up have not been great, and so uh, I've I've been falling back more toward. Uh, and s- I've been falling more toward Marvel. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, do you ever find, this is, a, again, tangent, because there's no Drew or John or anyone else to steer us in the right direction, uh, comic-centric podcast, but have you ever found yourself having more issues reviewing a book that you want to read as a fan than yeah. from a critical perspective? Okay. Absolutely. Because right and- now... Uh, I, I've been re I've read and reread Brave and the Bold number one by Liam Sharp, and it's so good. And I don't know how to approach this critically because I just want to be like everything's awesome. And, and that's that's kind of you know. And I bitched about aggregate reviewing uh, in Mister Sledge's neighborhood, uh, you know, in series past. But it's kind of uh, I always like to say, should you buy this book? And even if I give it a score of, like, 7 out of 10, Mm -hmm. you know, I can still say you should buy this book because it's a building on a good story. You know, it's, you know, the the art may not be on point at all times and stuff like that, but you should still buy this book. And then there are books where, like, the art is absolutely gorgeous. All the Civil War II books, you know. (laughs) Hey, David Marquez. Yeah. And absolutely gorgeous. And then I write, you know, four line reviews or four sentence reviews saying that this issue was either people hugging or people crying, mm. you know, and no, you should not buy this book, even though it's beautiful. Now, if you don't mind, I want to switch gears a bit while we're talking about capitalism and how we just love to buy things. Uh, my family this weekend went to Disney World and it was highlighted yesterday by going to Hollywood Studios and experiencing all the Star Wars stuff. Uh, oh, does Disney own Star Wars now, yeah, do they? Yeah, isn't it weird? Mm. Uh, uh, first off, it was a bit jarring because I hadn't been to Hollywood Studios since it was MGM uh, in about oh. 25 years. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> they've changed some stuff. Uh, but I did want to give props to Disney for this one service they're offering for little kids. 
uh, where if you get up early, one of the days you can sign up for How to Train Like a Jedi. Oh, yeah? And it's ages, I think, 5 through 12. And you show up and you sign up your kid, and then they get this experience where they go with their little fellow Jedis, and they've got, like, cloaks, and you've got a, a lightsaber, and they get taught by uh, an, uh, a master and his Padawan. Mm-hmm. And it's just cool to see them learn how to do, like, little lightsaber tricks. And eventually they have to do Trial of the Jedi, where they fight either their mind's eye representation of Darth Vader or Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. It's cool because they do it in this platform in front of a crowd, and the sound effects are great, and the costumes are great. Uh, and Rory was just having a blast. Uh, I need you to tell me about Rory, but I remember there being a viral video moment of that what you just explained, where a little girl goes up to fight Vader, and instead she got down on one knee. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and the crowd went wild. <laughs> Thankfully, we didn't have any aspiring Sith in our group. Uh <laughs> But I I was just thrilled because every once in a while Vader or or Ren will like will say something to the kid and the kid will like have to respond and Vader like was taunting Rory and she was like no and she did her thing and it was great and it was wonderful because again it's free at a mm-hmm. Disney World park which is few and far between yeah. and they just did such a good job with their presentation like you have to give Disney credit their Star Wars stuff is on point. Uh, and how big did your heart grow watching oh that? It was amazing. And uh, also props to, Di- to Disney because we went to what was once that, uh, oh, what was it? Like the Inside Voyage ride where you like supposedly get shrunk and sent to the human body. The Incredible Adventure. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, Incredible they... Voyage. Yes. yes. There it is. They converted that to a Star Wars ride. What? Yeah, it was a bit disappointing until you get going on it, and you're like, this is so much fun. Okay. Uh, so you're in that, it's called Star Tours, and it's supposed to be like, you just take you to all these different Star Wars planets. Uh, but C-3PO get locked, gets locked in the cockpit accidentally, and the, the tour starts with him piloting, and they can't get out of the hangar because stormtroopers are blocking the way, and they're like, we think there's a, a Jedi spy on board. Uh, what they did here is... They flashed pictures of people in the the um, the craft itself, yeah. Yeah. and then they let they singled out Rory because she was wearing her "I trained as a Jedi" pin, and everyone <laughs> looked at her, and she was like, uh, "I did what?" And that kicks off the thing, and it's so much fun. And you see John Boyega and Oscar Isaac doing like little brief cameos, talking to Star Tours. And it was beautiful and fun, and it, I wish it was an hour instead of, like, maybe a couple minutes. Wow. Oh. Fam- family retreats, man. Or a Court of Nerds, eventually, because the, the shop, the Star Wars shop attached to it, was incredible! Really? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to post a picture of just the, the le- one Lego section. Star Wars Lego section. There's more, and they just got a picture of, like, six feet tall of one. And they have build your own lightsabers, and it's wonderful, and I can't recommend this enough. So is that why John's not available for the podcast? Because he's busy uh, doing you-know-what over those pictures? Potentially. Yeah. Mm. We meant drooling, right? Just drooling? I meant drooling. I meant, I, I meant that. Uh, or, you know, handling his saw. Handling his, his lightsaber? 
saw, saw his giant green oh, right. saw. His very aggressive saw that he's very excited to play with. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. happens when you become a middle-aged man. It's weird. Yeah. But I definitely think you should take Finn there because it's awesome. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, is, there, is there a cars section to the theme park? We didn't have time to check, but it wouldn't surprise me. They're working on a, a whole like Land of Pixar thing, which is, yeah. it's, it looked amazing, what they had already. I don't, I don't know how many times I've seen Cars 3, but uh, too many. <laughs> well, you know, you just, you never know if Cruz is going to go for it, or she's just going to stick to being a trainer. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would like to make one cut where the movie ends, you know, where, uh, differently, where the, where the racer, the storm, you know. Jackson uh, Storm. Jackson Storm. <laughs> the guy that's trained his entire life and, and runs the numbers, you know, the ultimate analytics guy wins the race because he's the best. That it would make sense. It's logical. All the parents think this, but the kids don't want that. No, of course not. They actually, you can oh. meet Cruz as one of like the really? character meet things. Really? Yeah. Oh. So now that we've plotted, nice vents. Yeah, great vents. It's just weird <laughs> that it's a giant car. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our planning your family trip through Disney segment of the podcast. Brought to you by Tom and Chi of Granville. <laughs> Gotta get that plug. Oh, absolutely. That's that's why they, they pay us the grilled cheeses. <laughs> uh, and one thing you, you said that you wanted to talk about tonight, which I was very excited for, is we never got a chance to talk about uh, Black Panther, like between the two of us. Well, uh, we we kind of did. Uh, it wasn't recorded uh, or talked about uh, when we were doing like some reverse centaurs. Uh, we we're trying to bring up Maj uh, on what to expect, uh, and uh, I, we had a lot of feelings. I had just seen it, and it's I've allowed it time to percolate mm-hmm. uh, and think back. Uh, and uh, I have some I have some thoughts on it uh, that you know might run counter to to some other other thoughts uh that i probably will express in the same segment yeah. so uh uh why don't you uh, lead us lead us off first okay uh well first off we got some current numbers as of tuesday the 27th uh the domestic gross is around 411 million dollars which is bananas Hmm. I think right now it's ranked like 93rd on the all-time domestic gross list for american That's- films that's two weeks, right? Yeah, two weeks, which is insane. The foreign total right now is three hundred sixteen million, which again wow. is bananas for a superhero movie without any ties to China. Right, like, in absolutely. All uh, it's currently at ninety-seven percent in Rotten Tomatoes and eighty-eight percent on Metacritic. Which who? Which one of you assholes downvoted it on Rotten Tomatoes without an agenda? No, and yeah. Well, they had an agenda, man. They had an agenda. Which is dumb. And you know what? This is a positive po- positive episode, so we're not going to dwell on that. Yeah. But uh, the thing I took away from this movie was I felt that uh, Michael B. Jordan's Eric Killmonger was the first Marvel villain, outside of a little bit of Loki, that you genuinely feel sympathy for. Like, uh, should we declare spoiler alert at this point in time? All right, so if you haven't seen Black Panther, turn us off, go
go buy yourself a ticket and get yourself to the theater. Uh, it's well worth it, and you need to watch it. Mm-hmm. So we'll give you a second there. All right, you're back. You've watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, so spoiler heavy from this point on. With Killmonger, you can't help but feel bad for him. The way his his father was killed for the choices he made that he thought was for the betterment of um, black people worldwide. For Wakanda. Yeah. And, and for the downtrodden. And then you then Killmonger has to go... I'm not going to say Stevens because that's... that's I don't like it. It's Eric Killmonger mm. from the books. That's what it is. It's Killmonger. Yeah. And mm. the way he has become like a self-made man, all the sacrifices he's made to get to the point where he can challenge T'Challa for the throne, it all makes sense. And when he's actually confronting T'Challa and the Wakandan uh, hierarchy, you kind of want to be like, yeah, dude makes sense. Why wouldn't you back his plan? Like, of course, the plan involves a lot of... Uh, Genocide. You yeah. Know. Yeah. And a point Killing where... <laughs> lots of lots of people. Yeah, but it, it's to counteract like the system, systemic racism that is very prevalent in the United States and globally to an extent. Globally. Globally. Like, yeah. This... Oh, sorry. Go, go on. Well, and uh, the, therein lies... Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I did look at this in and and i kind of broke it down and make i'm i'm historically trained i worked in academia mm-hmm. you know uh, i spent a lot of time chasing those degrees and uh one of the and back in the early aughts everybody did comparative history mm-hmm. you know and uh you try to find uh, uh analogies across cultures and so the the obvious analogy for eric killmonger and Chikala. Uh, was Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Okay. And and so when you're comparing, and and this is a comparison I often see, uh, and to me, uh, at times, it doesn't, while it fits at times, uh, while Killmonger is the the more radical Malcolm X, uh, and uh, Takala is the the more pacifist uh, Martin Luther King, the... Where it breaks down is Tikal was actually more of an isolationist mm. uh, until the end of the movie, uh, and he, you know, the message got through to him that Eric was that Killmonger was trying to get through, and he, whereas Martin Luther King was, no, I have a dream holding hands, mm. all right, uh, whereas Malcolm X, you know, along with the the Muslim Brotherhood, was more inculcated into itself. And preservation and buildup of one's culture, and so that's where I see the analysis breaks down. The, in my mind, what I immediately went to, and I think is a very apt comparison, and people might laugh at me for this, is the big fellow and the long fellow. And when I say that, is when I say big fellow, I am talking about Michael Collins, and when I say long fellow, I am talking about Iman De La Vera. And you may ask yourself, Grant, do, do, you, do you know who these gentlemen are? No. All right. So there, there was this little thing called the Irish Rebellion. Okay. All right. And so uh, Ireland had been colonized by uh, Great Britain for uh, since the Roundheads. So about you're, you're looking at about 300, four, uh, 
360 years mm-hmm. of active British colonization of the Irish of, of Ireland. Uh, and the when the Irish Revolution broke out, there are two main figures stood out. One being Michael Collins, who is known as the Big Fellow, uh, who essentially led the IRA, or well, at the time, IRB, Irish Republican Brotherhood, uh, and uh, was a Sinn Féin leader, uh, and did a lot of the grunt military work, and was a lot of the, the hard, you know, hitting guy. Whereas De La Vera, who also rose into uh, leadership in the IRB, and in Sinn Féin, though he left Sinn Féin in 1926, uh, he was more of the diplomat and the the mastermind. All right, and I did the immediate comparison between De La Vera and Chakala uh, and uh, Killmonger and Eric Collins, most notably for the fact that Michael Collins was killed by the Irish Republican Brotherhood because of disagreements within Sinn Féin. Hmm. All right. He was mar- essentially seen as a martyr okay. to this day. Uh, that caused a lot of change within the organization. Uh, and so, to, to me, Michael Collins was more the Eric Killmonger. And uh, Chakala was more of the Dave, Dave Valera. Uh, and Dave Valera lived on. You know, it all the way to 1975. Oh, wow. You know, and he was politically active until 73. So the, and, you know, the, the revolution took place in 1919. So you can see, you know, he's known as the Longfellow. He persisted throughout all okay. that time. And he is the Chakala. Uh, and so uh, being of Irish, you know, let, the devil takes nobility, says the Irish volunteer. Michael Collins was the Irish volunteer. Uh, Eric Killmonger really despised the crown, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dis- and all the excuses that Chikala came up with, you know, saying, I am not the kings before me, you know, rang hollow just as a white person saying, well, you can't blame me for, you know, slavery. Yeah. And uh, it, there were those those lobbying moments like grenades that kind of the movie threw at you and hit you right in the chest. And you, you, you had to deal with those emotions as this action is taking place on screen. And this is again, at the point where we say that both Kevin and I are, are white. Uh, we don't have, <laughs> uh, no, uh, honestly, like we don't have, have the insight that, you know, our African American friends have towards they have better insight on racial issues far closer than we ever ever will and this is the best we can do to make this film make sense to us if if that if i can speak for you in that moment oh you can absolutely like one of the things uh uh wait Back in the old race-switching days of reading pictures, mm-hmm. where uh, I, I remember relaying to you a friend of mine, Mike, shout out Mike, uh, <laughs> uh, when we had the Wally West uh, got in the New 52, uh, became African American, and uh, his feelings on, and I, and I, and I was perturbed, mm-hmm. you know, not, and it wasn't so much because of the race change it was because of the backstory change because yeah. of, 
you know, I mean, hey, you got to make him a, a poor criminal, don't you? Yeah. You know, you know, you got to you got to be all racist in that. And he's like, but I want my favorite heroes to look like me. And you can't fault somebody for that. Mm-hmm. We are we have the privilege of being born into that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it takes uh, you have to step back for a minute. You know, and one thing I like to say, people like me have been telling people like you how to think, how to act, and how to perceive all the time. Maybe I should just be quiet about Mm -hmm. this for now. Yeah. And that's what one of the things I liked about this movie is that because Marvel had a flash of genius by allowing, you know, the right black filmmakers to take control of this vision and just display it so succinctly that we, as a Caucasian audience, like, it's forcing us to confront issues and take them to heart. Like, again, I loved Killmonger because he made me uncomfortable. Because and every- that's, yeah, that's everything, the point. Everything he said was like, shit, I wouldn't blame him at all if, if that's really what he wants to do. We've given, them, we've given him no choice. That last line, man. Oh, my gosh. It's like, it's still like a dagger. Mm-hmm. And I... Yeah, it was just such a fantastic movie. And honestly, I feel like Ryan Coogler is going to be the new Christopher Nolan. Like, the movies he's made between Fruitvale Station and Creed, like, he's already just displayed a huge amount of talent. And then knocking it out of the park with such a huge movie with so many moving pieces, he should be able to just do whatever he wants, like, for the rest of his career. Yeah, but, you know, you gotta gotta be careful. I mean... We we kind of thought that way with Trank, right? After, you know, so you had to be careful. And even Nolan, like, I mean, I'm, there might be some Interstellar fans out there, but for me, <laughs> this is not a visual medium. But Kevin made a choking on the dick face. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't know. I like Kugler's background. Like he's made two incredible movies, and now he's done the big. The big blockbuster just making a hand over fist of money. I feel like he could go with that, almost like a Robert Rodriguez thing, too, where it's like, okay, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me with the studio. Well, absolutely. And uh, I think the studio should welcome that. I think mm-hmm. I think Disney should welcome that. Absolutely. And Bozeman... Oh, sorry. Continue. Well, it's, it's a voice that needs to be amplified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as box office numbers show uh it's a voice that people welcome yeah absolutely and that's what's another frustrating thing that it's taken this long to get this movie with this many like the right people it's Mm. dumb like it's it has connected with so many people and you just wonder why hasn't this been done before it's almost like when deadpool got made the right way and fox is like whoa we never would have anticipated that people want to see this i can tell you why it hasn't been made before because studios are notoriously conservative with so large amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you, if you're going to do primarily an African American cast, you immediately have the idea of black exploitation in the yeah. back of your mind. Mm-hmm. And so when you're a studio exec, you, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're not only thinking of the shareholders, but you're also thinking is like, is this going to paint us in a negative image? That makes sense. But thankfully uh, this is just paid off so well. And, for a couple people, I wanted to highlight, like, Bozeman, Chadwick Bozeman, of course. 
if you really think about it between like what he did in 42, his new movie Marshall and Black Panther, he's cut a really big shadow in Hollywood right now. Yeah, he has. And same with Michael B. Jordan. Thank God for this movie to just <laughs> further allow him to show how good he is and how to redeem himself after the flop that was Fantastic Four. It, it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. It was not his Absolutely. fault. He was fine in that movie. <laughs> like one of few things. One, oh my God. And one, one person in this movie that I want to see more from was the girl who played Okoye, the, lead, the leader of the Dora Milaje. She was, gosh, she was so good at just relating all these emotions and just being funny when she needed to be and fierce when she needed to be. And I would love to see her like front an action movie if that's if that's what she wants to do. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that there's a, you know, I mean MCU, like uh, they they've got it down. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's be honest. They haven't really made a bad movie. You know, how many films running? Yeah, and uh, so th- they'll figure it out. Uh, I think we battered around the idea of Ironheart at some point. How about they skip that and just do Shuri as Black Panther, like in the books? Yeah, that's fine by me. <laughs> uh, that's it, fine by me. And I also wanted to highlight that some of the stories that they, they chose from uh, for the Black Panther, like, yeah, they did some Ta-Nehisi Coates, like, recent run, but also the Christopher Priest run they used a lot from, and I just eventually reread that that omnibus about Christopher Priest Black Panther, and it's incredible. And I just couldn't help but feel bad for not recognizing it when it came out. But there's such a treasure trove of good Black Panther stuff out there that people really should dive into at this point. Absolutely. Uh, some of the and you know Drew is absolutely in love with the current series. Mm-hmm. With with good reason. It's incredible. But dude, again, Christopher Priest. He brought the back Black Panther back to relevance, and he laid the foundation of the run that's going on right now. I recently got the the first issue of Priest's run where he introduces uh, Nakia and Okoye. And oh Zuri. yeah, yeah, and it's super cool and it's very affordable. And the whole this whole series is just amazing. And if we can transition from the past Marvel comics to the present. Hard transition. Get that shifter. Ah, all right, I, we're there. Yeah, I am nothing but a very blatant segwayer. I want you to know when I'm segwaying topics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Marvel has recently given, sent out a bunch of press releases concerning their new... Oh, oh I don't Grant. I know what to say this anymore. Oh, Grant. Oh, man. It's another how, initiative. How many... Okay, so... To our listeners out there that have slogged through us with this, uh, I'm going to bring up our thread uh, one more time. And it, 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 there are cycles where me and Grant will read a Marvel book uh, over the past year and just get incredibly irate and angry uh, and then disappointed and then make some sort of ultimatum. I'm like, I'm not buying a Marvel <laughs> book ever again until... They fix whatever is wrong with them, and a couple weeks later, we pick up another Marvel book and the, and repeat the cycle over and over and over again. Uh, and I thought I would keep repeating this cycle until a couple of weeks ago. I read X Men Red number one, and I was like, "Huh, that wasn't terrible." 
As a matter of fact, because it had such a big twist at the end that it made me, oh, I see what they're doing with this. This is interesting. This can be really, really good because it has a it has a great cast of characters uh, and it is putting them at the and it's got some pretty big stakes, you know. And so, yeah, uh, all these uh, the the legacy return you know, of all these classic Marvel characters uh, has us excited initially, but I'm not, I'm going to hold off until I actually read those number ones. Well, I've got a a list of like the most recent four or five different press releases we've gotten from Marvel concerning the new books. And I want to hear, I'm going to say the creative team and kind of give a little snippet. And I want to hear if you're excited or not. Okay. All right. The, the, the thumbs up or the thumbs in the, I mean, the thumbs down. The thumbs in the owlbear. Yeah, in the, oh, <laughs> you! Cross oh. promotion, don't forget to listen to Reverse Centaur coming out, they come out every Friday. Uh, <laughs> so first up, we've got uh, Black Panther number one, which, by the way, hey, shit on Marvel for this. You went to legacy numbering and now you're scrapping it again, doing exactly what you said you wouldn't do. So that's very irritating. Um, but they sell. Let Let's be honest. <laughs> they sell more issues. Yeah. When they When they stick a number one on it, mm-hmm. it's stupid. But from a marketing perspective, you have to understand why they do it. And they They are saying they're going to be doing dual numbering. So I guess they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. But whatever. This is not. This is not a cranky podcast episode. We're going positive only. So mm-hmm. we have Black Panther number one. Featuring Tanahisi Coates stays on as writer. Yep. Art by Daniel Acuna. Okay. Who's done some image work with I think uh, Rick Remender most recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the direction they're going is Wakanda in space. Thumbs up, thumbs and, down. Uh, two thumbs up. I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, and I think what I wrote in the the chat was, uh, you know, Black Panther. Uh, you know, Africans get space empire. Asgard, you get Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. I'm excited to think about, I, I'm really glad that Marvel is featuring T'Challa just because he's such a, like from the Illuminati days, he's a very compelling character that Marvel hadn't been doing very much with. But when pressed into the forefront of the Marvel universe, you're just like, wow, this guy's incredible. Because he's arguably one of the smartest people in the universe. Oh, okay. And so, uh, sorry. Quick backtrack. Yeah. One of my one of my things. Yeah, Takala for me is like the fourth smartest man in on Earth, and so and that is kind of one of the things that I wanted portrayed more in the movie. But mm-hmm. I understand why they didn't. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, side. Yeah. Fourth fourth smartest guy in the Mar. I'd I'd probably crank him up to number three. Over, you know, uh, this this guy named Tony Stark. Uh, Agreed. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you have an opinion on who's number one. It's Doom. It's Doom. Uh, it is, you pronounce Reed Richards very, very oddly. That's because I didn't say him because he's entrenched at number two. <laughs> How many times is, has Reed Richards single-handedly defeated a Beyonder? Uh, How many times has Doom spun universes into creation? Uh, I would say several times, but then he opted against it because being a god is beneath him. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it was his choice to make in all of that. Anyway, enough of the meta. Uh, Coates, definitely great. Uh, Black Panther, number one. Read it. Absolutely. And uh, next up, we've got Marvel announcing that they're winnowing down their Avengers book to one core title, Avengers number one, written by Jason Aaron, with art Mm -hmm. by Ed McGuinness. Uh, And I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes me excited in the downstairs. (laughs) <laughs> i'm in my basement right now listeners that's oh, i'm that's excited weird. i'm excited downstairs uh can i just say that i've always loved ed mcginnis and i'm excited for him to be on a top tier book because i yeah. haven't seen much of his stuff since hulk to be honest it, exactly and uh it's well worth it uh the i'm glad it's one one series oh my gosh uh, yeah. i did i kind of wish usa adventures worked out a bit better yeah. Uh, mainly because I loved all the characters that they had in it. Uh, I, I mean, feature Squirrel Girl more for me, but, you know. Less uh, for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, Doreen Green might have gotten on you a little bit too much. Uh, but, yeah, uh, winning it down to one book is a smart move. Oh, yeah. I figured they're going to sell so much more copies, especially with this creative team. And, again, Ed McGinnis, who does superhero work, I would say better than the bulk of the artists out right now. Right now. Oh, absolutely. Because with his his Superman stuff, he makes Superman larger than life. He makes all these people look giant, cartoony, and it just works so well. Heroic. Yes, thank you. That that is absolutely one hundred percent it. So Avengers number one, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, two thumbs up. Enthusiastic thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Uh. Also, right now, we are hearing about a new Thor book. There's, this is coming after the death of Jane Foster, which I yep. could give no nuts about. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know me, man. I, I had been reading the Unworthy Thor books. I had, mm-hmm. I had kept, up, kept it all up. And it just, even after all that, I just couldn't. I, oh, Odin's son, man. Yep. Odin's son. Well, you know, Gore was right. Uh, ah! Speaking of that, uh, that series that introduced Gore, what mm-hmm. was it? Was it God of Thunder? Yes, God of Thunder. Gosh, that was one of my favorite Thor runs of all time. Mm-hmm. And now it was Jason, good. Jason Aaron is going back to having Odinson be Thor, and the art is by Mike Del Mundo, which I think is a great choice. It's a good fit. Mm-hmm. It is a very good fit for uh, especially classic Thor. Yeah, and if we can go back to reading picture for the second time in one episode, which is crazy. Uh, we were interviewing, or not interviewing, we were reviewing Electra back when Del Mundo was doing that, and he just did beautiful artwork for Electra, and he's done it for Carnage. Uh, and like you said, he's a perfect fit for this, just because of how etheric and ethereal his artwork will be for something like this. Uh, I'm, I'm, there's going to be a lot of wonderful lightning blast, mm. a lot of, a lot of after effects, you know, uh, on there. It's going to look gorgeous. Thumbs up, thumbs down, then. Thumbs up. Uh, not too enthusiastic. A a single thumbs up. Okay. Uh, and the pro I've I've been bitten by Thor so often, so I I'll get it, but <laughs> you know. but with moderate excitement. Yeah. Uh, next up, this is one that um, I really just want to dismissively wank right off the bat, but when <laughs> I heard about the creative team, I was like, okay, I'll oh, fuck, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Venom number one. Ah! <laughs> uh, with the creative team of Donnie Cates, 
and Ryan Stegman, Michigan's own. Stegman, man. Oh, so, you know, so one that uh, of the two thumbs up, there's one thumb up right there, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so, yeah, it's good. I don't know how I feel about the symbiote and uh, being back with Brock and the, uh, I mean, they're going back to the, the we, aren't we? Like Oh, in this particular run, we find out that the symbiote and Eddie are at odds. Yeah. I kinda, okay. I kind of like that. And uh, I don't know, are, are we looking at more redemptive Eddie Brock? I mean, Venom spent so much time uh, bouncing around from host to host, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, out in space and, and, and doing whatever. Like, I, I had lost so much interest in Venom. And now that he's back with Brock, I find myself interested again. But I'm only super interested if Venom is just nasty, if he's a bad bad guy that's why i'm excited that donny cates is doing this because he had he has breathed new life into the the thanos ongoing his work for like god country and baby teeth he's a great horror writer he can make Mm -hmm. this symbiote scary again i'm excited to see what he can do with a a guy where you don't know if he's a hero or a villain but i think it's a really cool premise and i'm actually this might be one of the ones i'm more most excited for okay uh, I'm, I'm glad you're the most excited because I'm still a bit tentative. Okay. Uh, Stegman, big thumbs up for me. Uh, again, by the book, I don't know how many issues in I'll get. Mm-hmm. I think that's all Marvel's asking for this new initiative is just buy, buy the first issue, see if you like it or not. Uh, the last one I wanted to touch on was something that I am, I am really excited for. Uh, the Immortal Hulk, number one. Like... Okay, so this is, it's, it's done <laughs> by fan favorite, Court of the Nerds favorite writer, Al Ewing. Oh my goodness, man. <laughs> and artist Joe Bennett. Yeah. Uh, so I, I believe I've gone on record saying Ewing is uh, Hickman reincarnate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is, he is one of my favorite Marvel writers. From everything he's done with Ultimates and Ultimate Squared, he, he takes cosmic on the next level, and he does the slow burn story. Oh, gosh, yeah. Like, every little, like, there are little things that, you know, it might be two panels in the first issue that 14 issues later, those panels become important. Mm -hmm. You know, he has that slow burn build, and when the reveal comes off, he's, he's masterful at it. Yeah. Another thing, in an interview with uh, CBR that we're going to link to, he stated that he wants us to have a horror vibe. And the last time I can remember the Hulk having kind of a horror vibe is back when uh, Bruce Jones was writing it. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And they released some of the the, uh, pencils by Joe Bennett, who has worked on the Hulk before a couple times, and everything looks good. And I I love that Ewing is really diving into the conceit of the character, which is, Hulk is an unstoppable monster who just might prove to be immortal. I've never thought about him that way, and it's almost scary to think about. Yeah, uh, well, and but, well, I mean, he was killed, but he won't be killed again. You know, uh, it's the the the. I'm glad Bruce Banner is back mm-hmm. as Hulk. You know, as much I mean, I guess Cho is still going to be around. 
Cho is you know? Cho. Cho was never yeah. Hulk. I'm sorry. That's just... yeah. Uh, I, I, and don't get me wrong. I loved Amadeus Cho when he was Amadeus Cho. Yeah. You know, fifth smartest person in the yeah. Marvel universe. All right. We'll go. With you that. know. Yeah. As and a character, he, he worked on his own. And, and he was he was fantastic. Well, it, especially paired with another brute mm-hmm. like uh, Hercules. Uh, so, and uh, here's a brief like throwback when when Amadeus Cho and Hercules were going around together, and they had Wolf. And one of my favorite, you know, so Wolf was the actual Wolf pup mm-hmm. uh, that Amadeus carried in his coat pocket, and they just called him Wolf for like two years, and they finally <laughs> was like, let's name this this dog, and they they put it out there for the reading public to name. And what do you think the reading public named the the Wolf pup? Wolfie McWolfface? No, they named it Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> it was so like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> you know? And so the comic readers being great. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bruce Banner, back as Hulk, couldn't be more excited. Uh, the, the, the concept of the story is so far different than what we're used to uh, that I'm glad to see Marvel... Uh, well... As much as I hate the all-new, all-different, uh, I, I hope this different direction actually is good. <laughs> I think so, because uh, like you said, working as a slow burn, this is almost reminiscent of the Hulk TV show that basically captivated an entire nation. Because mm-hmm. they're just going to make it Banner trying to do good with what he has while still like keeping away from everybody. And again, it's got the horror of we don't know when this immortal being is going to come. And fuck things up for everybody else. Is I, he gonna? Is he gonna eat people? Ugh, he might. Who knows? That, that was that was always one of the things that I loved with the sixteen ten, the Ultimate Hulk. Mm-hmm. Is like he was not a good guy. No, and Freddie Prince Jr. just makes him so mad. <laughs> that is a oh. deep cut. <laughs> ah, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, uh, we talk about it. And we're almost irritated that Marvel's new slit sounds so good. It's frustrating. Uh, Because for so long, we just, we got hate boners just Mm -hmm. dishing on Marvel. You know, ever since, like, Civil War II and, well, yeah, fine. (laughs) The Death of Wolverine, Civil War II, uh, Secret Empire, which, you know, tore my heart out Mm -hmm. and got me so angry. You know, with Marvel, and now they're they're trying to redeem themselves, but it's been so haphazard and it's been so like slapdish that I can't really. I have a hard time getting behind everything. But like you said, man, some of these creative teams, and for me, the fact that Brian Michael Bendis is going to be gone gives me lots of hope and slots off Spider Man and. Yeah, and that and as Ben as always, he's too long, man. He was there too long. That's addition by subtraction. I feel. I'm curious to see uh, who they're going to say the new creative team is. I think I heard rumor Nick Spencer, which I'm down with that. When Spencer Ooh. wants to be funny, he can be great with Spider Man. And and while I like a lot that Slot did, you know, I mean, we all loved Superior Spider Man. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, and. Uh, you know, the buildup of Parker Industries and then the eventual teardown of Parker <laughs> Industries. Uh, the It's, yeah, going back to the Daily Bugle is going to feel kind of weird. 
Yeah. And so there's going to have to be a way to make this all, I don't know, right in my head. Without making a deal with Mephisto. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I can still I can still read, though, the Renew Your Vows, which is a fantastic series that I'm glad is still going on into continuity. It's, do we know if Stegman's going to be on that or if he's moving, uh, if he's just going right over to Venom? I think he's going right over to Venom. Hmm. Well, yeah, I can't have, can't have it on without breaking some eggs, I guess. Yeah. But that said, I mean, renew your vows. If you haven't kept up, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, Annie Mae is now a 15 year old. Good so. grief. Yeah, so yeah, last you last you might have read, she was still, you know, like in second grade. Mm-hmm. No, she's a teenager now and dealing with teenage issues. Thank you. Well, that's yeah, that's all of our Marvel stuff right now, aside from, you know, being happy that Wolverine has four miniseries coming out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, are you happy to be to hopefully parse down to one Wolverine? If they oh gosh, can you imagine? I would be ecstatic if they could I'm sorry. Get rid of like Jimmy, Jimmy, How, Jimmy Hudson. Yeah. Uh, little Wolvie, old man Logan. I'd even be okay with Gabby keeping her around if we can just get rid of all these superfluous ones. Absolutely. Uh, and let me another dig at Marvel. All stop with the old man. You know, old man Hawkeye, old man yeah, everything. That's, that's stop. Yeah, old man woman or, or old man. <laughs> old man. It's it's. <laughs> It's ridiculous. <laughs> Just because it worked for for Wolver for Old Man Logan and Battle <laughs> doesn't mean you should apply it to everything. Ah. Anyway, th- happy episode. Happy episode. Happy episode. Now I want Marvel to do an Old Man Woman by <laughs> by Evan Dorkin and Joe Majera. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's all I have this week. Giselle Lagasse. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a very comics-heavy episode of Court of Nerds. Comics. Uh, uh, Kevin, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, if you haven't listened to uh, <laughs> me and Stacy's venture, Sledge and Hammer, oh, really- uh, give it a try. Uh, I mean, it's. It's funny. It's, I mean, we decided to try to keep it short. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> he said knowingly. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to do a plug for uh, That's So Braven, uh, with arguably, I think, the best uh, wrestling coverage outside of the Geekiverse. Uh, when he and Austin do wrestling casts together, it's always super fun. Um, and I'm going to plug uh, our venture, Reverse Centaur. Which oh, yeah. we appreciate any and all reviews, uh, specifically on iTunes. You can subscribe on Podbean and all these other ones. Uh, just leave us some positive reviews. We'll be grateful and probably try and write you in somehow or some way. And Grant is currently learning Portuguese. It's really tough. I just wanted to learn how to say I was just a hungry guy, but it's exploded <laughs> so much further. Uh, <laughs> that's it for us this week. I'm Grant Stoy. I'm Kevin Carley. And this is the Court of Nerds. Bye-bye.
Hey guys, it's Drew. Tom and Chi Granville is back with some impressive meal deals. Here's what you can look forward to if you stop by and get cheesy. If you're always searching for the kids' menu, look no further than Tom and Chi, where kids under 12 eat free from 4 to 8 p.m. every Tuesday. Or enjoy half-off grilled cheese donuts every Wednesday from 4 to 8 p.m. And if you download the free Tom and Chi app, pop in every Thursday and get $3 classic grilled cheese sandwiches. Tom and Chi is also proud to support Chia. I think that's how I say it. A locally made vegan cheese that tastes so good, cows are starting to get jealous. Find Tom and Chi on 44th Street in Granville near Cabela's.